Hi there, welcome to the Lancaster Golf Performance Podcast. My name is Cam Lancaster, your host. So this week on the show, I did a solo podcast, and I really just talked about my learnings that I've been going through from studying the greats of our game in terms of the swing technique that they employed to bring them to a world-class level. So there's the guys that I studied really were Lee Trevino, Sam Snead, Jack Nicholas, uh, Ben Hogan. These are guys that really, in my belief, had the secrets of the swing dialed in. There's a lot that you know has gone on in the last 20 years in terms of swing development with biomechanics and all the science that goes into it, especially with stuff like TrackMan. But I'm a big believer that these guys had the secrets of the game figured out and they were able to compress the ball and consistently hit it without really having this technology. So there's definitely a lot that you can copy from these guys and I'll kind of go into depth with those certain things. So if you have any feedback for us, we would love to hear it at Lancaster Golf Performance on Instagram. Please leave us a review and a rating and thanks so much for listening to the show and happy golfing. Hey there, so this uh, coming January 2021, uh, myself and our really close friend Brendan Leonard, a professional golfer, will be hosting an eight-week mentorship. So if you're local to the Toronto area or the Burlington area, we're going to be doing part of it in person. And if you're outside of that region, then we are also doing it online. So right now we're accepting applications. So if you want to just DM us at Lancaster Golf Performance on Instagram, or you can email us at LancasterGolfAcademy at gmail.com. So basically we're looking for four golfers in the range of about a, probably a 12 to 10 to 12 handicap or better or competitive or professional golfers. So basically this eight week mentorship will include a biomechanic lesson, short game technique session, short game practice mastery, a golf fitness session based upon our coaching from the Czech Institute, a course management session, a mental game session, a full game practice session. And then in the last week we'll go over biomechanics again and then have an exit plan for you going to the 2021 season. So I think there's really a lot of value that you can be derived from this uh, for your own game. And it really is just sort of unearthing every rock in your game to make sure that, you know, there is no stone unturned. So if you're interested in that, we'd love to hear from you on that. So send in your application. If you have any questions for us, please, again, email us at LancasterGolfAcademy at gmail.com. We'd just like to give out a shout out to our current clients who have supported us through this journey. Uh, So this review comes from Norm in Connecticut, and he said about our services, I have taken four lessons with Cam, and I'm already striking the ball better than I ever have. He did not try to shoehorn a one-size-fits-all swing onto me. He spent time getting to know my swing and potential areas of improvement, already addressing two swing flaws holding me back. Now when I have to hit a long iron, I'm confident and I can put a club on the ball. Thank you so much, Norm, and best of luck. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for taking interest in the stuff that I've been putting out there. Uh, it's been quite the wild ride in 2020, just for my own business and the students. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun, you know, putting out this content and really just for myself becoming a student of the game again. So that's kind of where I wanted to start today. And uh, in terms of looking at the past players, uh, you know, some players that to me stand out in history, stand out in a lot of people's minds as the greatest players of all time. And I think it's worth really studying their golf swings and studying the way they played and the way they thought because there's, to me, I think there's too much of a reliance nowadays on the science and the data of the golf swing, you know, based on track, man, based upon all the data that we have. I think it's, you know, it'd be just as equally value for everyone to really take a look at guys like Trevino, Snead, uh, Byron Nelson, Arnold Palmer, all the greats, really, that, you know, you can think about. Um, even going into some of the more unknown guys like Julius Boros, and just really studying the actions that they had. So, you know, if you've been following me along, I've been really into some of the guys, especially Trevino, I think is the one that really stands out the most. 
And I'd always be curious to really look at, you know, what what their swings, how their swings would have stood up on track, man, because there's all, you know, the science of the swing now, and, you know, you should swing based upon, you know, something that is biomechanically sound. You know, you shouldn't flex your knees down at the bottom. You should straighten your knees. That's what a lot of people will say. Uh, but I really think that, you know, just based upon some of the programming I've been doing in my own swing, you've been following along with my swing on my Instagram page, and the programming I've been doing with my student swings, I've been seeing some crazy results on TrackMan where, you know, giving someone the, you know, driving the knee towards the target tip um, or, you know, keeping the knees flexed and, and opening the hips into impact, you know, although it's kind of a bit of a modern move, has been uh, pretty, you know, I've seen club paths straighten out right away when there was a pretty big bias of into out. So, you know, just in terms of what Trevino did that was so interesting, in his action was he had everything uh, really severely open in his stance. So he would imagine you were to take a square stance going right down the target line, and he would open his feet up about 40, 40 yards left of the target and then hit an intentional push. So he really ended up having a late hit, and that's kind of something that Ben Hogan ended up having as well too. And, you know, you look at the length of Trevino's swing, too, and it was kind of on the John, you know, the John Rom spectrum, very short in the backswing and not a really long finish. And it's because, really, I think the engine of his swing was his lower body. And, you know, you look at Trevino interviews and, what he, and when he talked about his swing and he would say that his lower body was his engine. Uh, or he was, sorry, it was, he was blessed with a good set of legs. And I think what he meant by that is his ability to drive uh, with the knees, with the feet, and really generate such a repeatable movement. And you look at, you know, Trevino and, and how good of he was as a ball striker. He was Ben Hogan's club tester. He was arguably one of the best ball strikers of all time. Didn't really hit it all that far, but you could depend on him to hit a driver, you know, up the gut or hit an iron shot clutch in any situation. And, you know, what he was able to do in his shorter career uh, with his major wins and and, you know, even just where he came from as a golfer and really not having any formal instruction, just really digging out of the dirt um, in a caddy yard and then playing money games and then going on from there and then getting into the U.S. Open. Uh, you know, I, I'm a big believer that golf is an ancient game and uh, it's not something, you know, we just haven't discovered all these secrets in the past 10 to 15 years because of technology. I think technology has aided us and it's allowed for us to have certain breakthroughs that, uh, the older players would never have a dreamed imaginable, but I don't think I think if they had the technology that they had back in the day, uh, these players would be you know just as you know as good or if not better than the best players in the world right now. I firmly believe that, and that's kind of you know something that's very subjective, and a lot of people would probably argue with me the other way. But so just to back to Trevino's swing, I think some things that you can learn is he he really kept his knees nice and low and flexed into the ball. And you could almost kind of see it in his right knee and his right leg. When he pulled back, there was always kind of pressure that was maintained on the right, sort of the left instep of his right foot. And he would really drive that foot in and bank the foot into impact. And you could especially see it in the wedges, you'd call it the, I think it was the bleeding wedge that he would hit where that right foot really didn't come much off up off the ground and he would chase it super low. So, what I mean by chasing it low, if you were to take a styrofoam cup and you were to, uh, you know, have it as an, imagine that as the arc of your swing. So you think about the bottom of the arc and you have a normal round cup. Trevino, because he had such an, a low exit in his takeaway and then a low entry into his follow through, he was able to extend that 
the 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 basically the angle at the bottom, so there was less of a chance for him to be flipping. So, uh, and you know, this is something that again, if you observe great ball strikers, this is a commonality that you would find. You look at Mo Norman talked about it, where he would place a a penny uh, 44 inches behind his golf ball, and his goal was. And if you if you put a penny down 44 inches behind your golf ball, it's really tough to reach that. Um, with with keeping your weight center on the ball, so he really had a low and slow takeaway, and allowed for him to have more time at the bottom, basically to, to time it, so there was less of a flipping action. So just for your own swing, you know that's something I did for my own swing, and and just to kind of go back to a story uh, and how this helped my game, I was playing in the uh, in a Toledo charity benefit uh, benefit event, and we got paired with one of the uh, current players on the team, me and my brothers. And we were all, our games were kind of out of shape at that point. We weren't playing too much competitively. And I just really, I played with this, uh, this kid from Malaysia, five foot seven kid, but he just bombed it like 330, 340 consistently. And I was probably only hitting at 270, 275 at the time. I was just observing his takeaway and noticed how low he was taking away and how low he was exiting. And I kind of modeled that for the day and played a really tough golf course at Inverness and probably had one of my best driving days I've had and it, it really was a, a big awakening for me I think I hit 10 or 11 fairways that day I didn't score too well but you know I'm typically the type of golfer that would hit six to seven fairways and scrap it around uh, so you know just in terms of your driving I think that's something that would be really important to work on is just getting those exit patterns super low so Trevino was a master at that he really was able to you know take a lot of the timing variables out of it because he created these angles and he used the proper larger muscles. So stuff like your wrists, uh, didn't like the wrist didn't have to take over. So I'm going to kind of jump around here a little bit. A guy who I think is kind of a bit of a legend these days would be John Daly. And in, in terms of how can you know you even look at what he did uh, just recently shooting, I think a 62, uh, and his body is not in the shape that it used to be. Uh, but I think there's some things that you can really learn from John Daly. And just the one thing I'm going to really cover is that his ability to control that left arm and how strong his left arm is through impact. So he, he was doing a, a clinic with Trevino and Trevino had asked him, you know, you're always hitting these one-handed shots with your left hand, your lead hand, why are you doing that? And he said, you know, he got to a certain point with where his body was just not able to perform the certain type of movement that it was allowed to. So he started really just working on the left hand only shot um, and so he would you know basically hit a whole bucket of balls just with his left hand with a wedge with a pitching wedge seven iron down into a four iron and he was able to really gain a lot of control just by having a strong left arm you talk about Bryson and uh, Bryson talks about this quite a bit in the nth range of motion so if you were to program that into uh, for your practice it would look like maybe you know for me right now I'm warming up with a bunch of wedges doing my drills and then, but one of my drills is I'm going to do 50 swings with a wedge and just with my left hand on the club. I'm not trying to hit it far or anything, but what I'm really trying to emphasize is that left arm is staying super rock solid uh, through impact on my right hander. So that'd be my lead hand. And I can tell you, you know, I, I go into a small hitting session right now because it's off season, so I'm not playing and I'm hitting into a net for the most part, but I can just feel the crispness of the contact. I actually got on track man before too. Uh, or after kind of doing that for about five, six days straight, and really noticed some crazy improvements uh, just with my ball striking. I usually have a, a decently large in to out path, and my path was neutralized. And I really think it's because my left arm was just so much more solid on the golf club. Some other things you can do for your left hand, your left arm is just.
grip strengthener exercises. Uh, there's just some, um, you know, simple grip strengthening thing I bought off Amazon. I do that for about 50 reps a day on each hand. So again, you know, go look at John Daly on YouTube and look at some of his left hand only practice sessions. Uh, it's just, a, to me, it's a bit of a no brainer for every golfer um, to, to work on that and, and you'll see some great improvements. So this is more of a general topic I'm going to cover in terms of something you can observe in a lot of the older golfers. I would say Jack, uh, Bobby Jones, Sam Snead, uh, even Byron Nelson, these guys were masters at rhythm and tempo. And it's, it's something that's not given enough consideration today uh, with the new modern swing. And I think a lot of modern swings look very tight and tense and a little bit too rigid. And to me, those, you know, any, any time you have a large amount of tension in the golf swing in practice when it when it transitions to competitive golf and I've I've experienced this my with my own self and I've talked to a lot of high level guys who have uh, tried to take it to to competition a, a tighter action and it typically starts to break down right so you know you're not going to be able to go into every situation feeling loose and feeling flowing with your swing but I think really practicing your rhythm is super important and to me rhythm is something that's very personal to everyone. So for some people, when, when I say rhythm, they think, okay, my rhythm, uh, you know, if I have my hand super light on the club, then I can feel my rhythm. That's my feel. My feel also is to feel super light at the top of my swing. For some people, it's a slower takeaway. For some, for other people, it's a pause at the top. So rhythm is one of those things, kind of like finding your right putter or finding the right driver for you. It's, it's very personal to, uh, to you. So I would, I would say experiment with your rhythm, but then pick one and really stick to it and practice it. So, uh, and then taking that to the golf course, I think a rhythm thought holds up a lot better than a technical thought. I think technical thoughts on the golf course really don't do anything for most players. Um, it might give the you know illusion that it is doing something, but if you can imagine this, like imagine that you're trying to straighten your left arm, uh, you consciously with your swing on the golf course, Chances are you're thinking about that, tightening that left arm, no matter what you do. Um, and then the whole body becomes tight because you're really trying to force that motion. And then when you try and force your motion, then it's, uh, you know, you're going to have a mess on your hands. And so Sam Snead talked a lot about having that one piece swing throughout the whole action. And, you know, you look at it and he wasn't trying to feel anything in his swing. He was just trying to feel rhythm, feel tempo. Um, and, and he would let it go after that. Jack was another guy who was very much like that too, very rhythmic, you know, and, and really just focused on hitting the center of the screws, uh, hitting it on the screws, just like those little persimmon clubs. And he was able to, you know, hit it very far. He was also an athletic guy and, and he was an athlete from other sports, but it, it definitely made a big difference for him. So the guy that, you know, another person like Trevino, I've really been studying very deeply has been Mo Norman. And, uh, you know, if you look at Mo Norman's action and what Bryson is doing these days, there's a lot of parallels that you can draw, especially in his setup. The one-plane swing is being more popularized, but I think it's something that a lot more golfers should transition to. So just to break down some of the things that Mo really did in his swing, uh, you know, if you look at Mo's swing, when I looked at it as a junior golfer, I really didn't pay much attention to it because, you know, it doesn't look like a super pretty golf swing, but it is... It is as functional as any machine you can get. And for, for a guy like Mo, who wasn't the strongest guy or wasn't the fittest guy, you know, he was considered as one of the best ball strikers of all time. So I think if anyone, you know, the majority of golfers aren't training, training like athletes are. 
Uh, they're not keeping in shape. They're usually sitting more than they're standing. You know, working typical jobs for the average golfer. Mo Norman would be a great guy to, to take some pieces from. And I've I actually really design a lot of my my golfers who are you know the, the average club. I shouldn't even say average, but the you know club players who aren't going to play 40, 50 times a year, but they really want the best. They want to play their best golf when they go out there. They don't want to be frustrated. I've been modeling a lot of the tech, the technique and the drilling around the Mo Norman method. So Mo, when he sets up, you know, like we talked about before, he's setting his club up very far behind the ball. And he, he talked about it being a preference, but I think he everything that he did, and this comes from, uh, I forget the one swing plane guy, I'll, I'll remember his name, but uh, check out one swing plane on, uh, or one plane swing on YouTube. But he talks about how Mo set it back about two feet behind the ball. And he did that for a couple of reasons. With his irons, it was a, an enforcer to ensure that you got onto your left side and really compressed the ball. And then for the driver, it was to enforce that low takeaway. So it just extended that arc at the bottom. Uh, you look at the right knee, the right knee stays flexed in the backswing to the top position and through and the kneecap drives toward the target. So that right knee is never locking out, never straightening. The left knee, so Mo would talk about how the left knee stays bent slightly. And most, you know, most really high quality ball strikers might, they're not going to completely lock out the knee. And, and this is something that, you know, my time spent doing personal training under the Czech Institute methods, you know, you never, in terms of personal training, like looking at the body from an optimal standpoint. And I've had a couple arguments with this with some of my students, but I don't think it's ever in anyone's benefit to lock out their knee. I think that's asking for trouble with knee injuries. So having us, and I, I equate to this, like if you were to pick up a box, I would never advise someone to pick up a box with straight knees. You just, you know, you wouldn't be able to get much power. You'd probably throw it your back. So I'm not talking about having a crazy amount of knee flex like Lee Trevino uh, through, through the hitting zone or Mo Norman, but maybe just a little bit of a flex to brace the knee and be able to turn around it. So Mo Norman felt like his left knee was driving towards the target and was past the ball. So that's something that you can feel in your swing. Another thing too that parallels Trevino is his short backswing and follow through. So I had this exact discussion with a uh, with a client the other day talking about finishing long into the swing and you know having a wrap finish. And he asks, "Is my finish wrapped enough?" and you know, we look at people like Michelle Wee or Tiger Woods or Adam Scott, uh, people who wrap the swing considerably. And to me, that's just an after effect of what's gone on in the swing. And you look at guys who wrap their swings and it's, they're typically very flexible. So they're able to do it. So wrapping your swing is really just, you know, there, there's nothing that does for you. To me, it's, you know, what's sexy versus what's functional. For the majority of my playing career, I always played to what was sexy and that led me down a pretty terrible path. <laughs> uh, so you look at, you know, if you ask tour pros about, you know, what they're going to program into their swing, they're going to program things into their swing that allow them to hit it well. So I would bring up some great ball strikers who have a short finish and a very concise finish. They're not wrapping it. You look at guys like Tommy Fleetwood, um, blanking on a few others, but, you know, to go back to Mo, Mo would finished pretty much with his hands pointed towards the target very solid nothing was breaking the elbows weren't collapsing so uh, something to consider another guy would be even though he does slightly wrap his finish Zach Johnson probably the best example of that his arms stay so solid toward the target so yeah that's pretty much it I wanted to cover today those are the few guys uh, that I would recommend really studying up on 
And, you know, just because most of their coverage was fuzzy or most of it was in black and white, I'd really recommend to just listen to interviews and the way they talked about the game, the way they spoke about the swing and how they discovered their swings. Because, you know, these guys were still able to, although the courses maybe weren't as hard, they were in worse shape, they had worse equipment, and you look at some of the winning scores that these guys were able to pull off, and they were they were still shooting scores that were are somewhat consistent with today. They'd have, be able to have, you know, sneak shot rounds low into the 60s, as did Trevino. So I think you got, you give these guys modern courses, you give them fitness and health, uh, you give them the modern equipment, and you know they'd be they might be cleaning a lot of clocks on the PGA Tour. So study up the legends. You know just because it's in black and white, I think you can really get a lot of benefit out of it for your own game. And and what I would say if you're looking critically at the swing, and this is something that's been a big transition period for me as a coach and a student myself, is look at the very small pieces of the swing. Like you know look at a knee, or look at an ankle, or look at a heel. And, and study that movement and play it back over and over again, especially in slow motion, and then try and slowly program that into your body. That's how it's going to really you know, benefit you, is if you take your time with it and you take it slow. You can't feel five movements at once. Even feeling one movement at a time is going to throw your swing off. So, And that's another thing too, is as you're making swing changes, make sure that you're not tightening or tensing and you're going slow with it and you're understanding that you have a a, a range swing that you're working on and then you have an on-course swing and you're just trying to bridge that gap over time slowly so i would say you know look at your swing changes like you would want someone to have the perfect weight loss and i'll bring up two examples uh and it's funny how they kind of correlate in my life i had a big weight loss when i was 18 years old i lost 60 pounds and i also changed my swing at the same time and i i ended up coming out on the other end of both sides um, successful, you know, I lost all the weight and I changed my swing and I started hitting it so much better, but because I went through so many changes at once, you know, losing 60 pounds in six months and completely overhauling my swing in one summer, uh, those changes really didn't last because I went back to my tendencies. So the way I've done it now is, you know, I had ballooned back up with my weight, gained 60 pounds. Now I'm back down 40 pounds. And I did that over about a two to three year span and then I also have been changing my swing over a year span, but been very slow with it and repping a lot, drilling a lot, doing the small things right. And now I can throw it on camera and I'm not trying to do things and the new movements are showing up. So take it slow, you know, be easy on yourself. Understand that you still have a very good golf swing uh, that you can do a lot of damage with on the course. So that's it for today, guys. Happy golfing. If you have any questions for me, I'd love to answer them for you. Thank you so much for listening. If you are listening on Spotify or Apple, uh, please leave a review or a, a comment, whatever you do, just to support the show. It really helps me. And if you have any questions for me on how this can improve or you know feedback, I would really love to hear it. Happy golfing.